Hi, I'm John Crosby, and for the past 15 months, I've been the transition pastor here at Menlo Church. It's been a, a great privilege. I wanted to take a few minutes here at the front to bring you an update about how we're doing. Uh, most of that will come as part of our online town hall gathering. The link for that is on our website at menlo.church. But I thought I'd take a second to talk about the National Gathering of ECO. That's, their, that's our denomination. It's a group of staff who returned last night from the annual gathering. Over 1,100 folks came together in Dallas after a 23-month break for COVID. And they arrived from over 400 churches, literally scattered all over the world. It was the 10th anniversary of this denomination, and Menlo Church was right there at the heart of its founding. There was a desire right from the beginning to create a new type of denomination that would be committed to helping congregations flourish wherever they're planted, that would remain a movement as long as possible so it doesn't become just another bureaucracy. ECO was designed to gather lay people and pastors together for encouragement and for training, for a vision of common projects for the kingdom of heaven around the world. ECO represents a commitment to a thoughtful, passionate faith in Christ, an egalitarian expression of ministry for all ages and all people. New churches are starting and young people and old are coming to know the good news of Jesus. That's what we talked about. One of the highlights for me was an interview with a man named Ben, a follower of Jesus from Afghanistan. He had to have his face blocked out because it's too dangerous for him and his family to be openly part of a Christian church in Afghanistan. But he talked about how hundreds were coming to know Christ, to share his faith and spread the hope and the love of the gospel, even at great cost. I wanted to get on the plane with him, and I prayed for his safety and his continuing boldness. Menlo Church is one of the reasons that God has used ECO these past 10 years, and I wanna stand here and say, good start. Now let's see what our God can do with the church here in the Bay and around the world through the followers of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. There's no better introduction to this sermon series, You Were Made for This, than sharing what God is doing around the world and in your backyard. Would you pray for me? Pray with me as we get ready to open God's word. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, uh, you are active in the dusty suburbs of Afghanistan and in the suburbs of San Jose. That from this peninsula to the Arabian Peninsula, your name and faith in you brings changed lives and eternal destinies. I pray that as we open your word, we will see how from the beginning, your desire is for us to walk in intimacy with you, to sense your call on us in this world 
and live it out with joy. Be with us, Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's continue our study of the book of Genesis and discover what we were made for. In chapter 1, God said, So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That's where we started the series and grounded it, that you, that I, that we are made in the image of God with infinite worth and precious to our Savior. And then chapter 2 is sort of a reprise of the beginning. And it says, The Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. That's where Cheryl taught last week our deep need for relationships, that we are wired not to be alone. We are made for relationship. So the Lord God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, He took one of the man's ribs and closed the place up with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, Yahoo! It's right there. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Remember, Adam named everything else. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So this is, um, this is how the word of God talks about relationships part two. Cheryl talked about how it's not good to be alone. We are built for relationships and now here, in the root not only of the covenant of marriage, but in any deep relationship, there is given a call for intimacy. This text is about a deeper step in relationships, of an intimacy that we do not have with everyone, but only the ones we know best, whom we let know us best, an intimacy that we need. So how do we address this human need for intimacy in a society where 50% of us are single. For the first time or again, where many live together without the blessing of God and a formal covenant, where roughly 45% of all the marriages end up broken and alone. First, uh, let me address the confusion of intimacy with the physical, uh, that our society equates intimacy with the sexual. Sexuality is a big part of this, but intimacy is not just about saving sex for marriage. Intimacy is not only for marriage, but for singles and for the widowed, for the divorcees and for the young and for the old, for the faithful, and intimacy is for those who are seeking faith. Intimacy is the step in our relationships where we bear our souls more than we bear our bodies, 
when we let others see the warts and fears and the dreams, or when they discover them in us and choose not to hide, not to run away, and the relationship deepens with intimacy. Intimacy is to know as we are known. Intimacy means risking disclosure in a canceled culture. Let me say that again. Intimacy means risking disclosing who we really are in a cancer, cancel culture. Not with everybody, but everybody with someone. These um, masks have been a staple of COVID. They're, they're a symbol of the isolation that our society has gone through. But often I think that these masks are also a symbol of our desire to protect ourselves from the knowledge that other people gain of us that comes with intimacy. There is a a poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Dunbar is a wonderful African-American poet who feared letting white people know what he was really like, what black people really thought of white people. See if you can guess the title of the poem. It says, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheek and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts we smile. And mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise, counting all our tears and sighs? No, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but O oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but O oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Do you, do you know anybody like that? I, I, part of it is this image management thing, but much of it is a desire that others will see only what, what we feel safe showing them. When are you most like that, wearing the mask? Genesis says that Adam and Eve were horrified when their eyes were opened by the evil one and they were found to be naked and they hid their bodies in fig leaves, head-to-toe masks. Do you know anybody like that who feels hidden? I think it's all of us. I I'm like that. You see, intimacy fights the need to impress. Even to the point of me saying that this last week between a travel for a funeral and a, a teaching a group of young pastors and a conference, I, I didn't have the time to prepare the way I usually like to, to make this smooth. I mean, I do want to serve, but there's also a strong desire to impress, to appear wise. We want people close, but not too close. And so we wear the mask. Even the best wear masks so that people won't get too close to the real us, won't get 
intimate, one of the most famous of those, was Moses from the Old Testament. Moses, who saw God, who talked to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. That's the way, that's the way he and only he are described in the entire Bible. When he was with God, his face actually glowed. It was the reflection of God's brilliance upon him. And so when he came back with ordinary people, he had to put on a veil so that the people wouldn't freak out. A, a 5th century B.C. mask. Th then when he stopped blowing, he'd take the mask off and he'd go to the grocery store. But the Bible says that Moses started to like the way that people looked up to him when his face glowed or when they saw him with the veil because he was the only one who could actually say they had seen God and talked to God. And so Moses started keeping the veil, the mask, on all the time. And we believe that everybody else put masks on as well. That is, everybody wore masks until this group of people who had followed Jesus came along. And the Apostle Paul describes them like this. We're not like Moses. Moses would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. That is, that the gleaming of Moses' face because of the glory of God started to fade away, started to pass away, but Moses wanted to protect his image. He wanted to avoid intimacy, being known naked. And then Paul goes on, he says, but all of us, that is, all of us followers of Jesus, we all who with unveiled faces all contemplate the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What's, what's the difference here between Moses and the followers of Jesus? Why aren't we all like Moses all the time? I, I'm telling you, I still fear intimacy. I, I think that the difference is found in that word glory. Moses was the only one who saw the glory of the Lord and his face shined like the sun. And so he put on the mask and even when it faded away, he kept the mask on. But Paul says, we all, we all followers of Jesus, we all with unveiled faces, unmasked faces, we all contemplate the Lord's glory, that glory in the face of Jesus Christ. God, come to us, to all of us who will look for God in Jesus Christ. That allows us to be who we really are without the masks so that intimacy becomes possible naked and not ashamed anymore. Ben Patterson's a friend, a Presbyterian pastor and author who wrote a book called The Grand Essentials. What does it take? What's the essence of a life that flourishes? And in this book, he tells the story of a woman in his congregation whose faith was kept strong by her memorizing hundreds of passages of Scripture and seeing God's promises to her. 
She had a hard life. She lost both her husband and her children, but she seemed to have an unshakable confidence in the goodness of her God. Whenever Ben would visit, they'd recite to each other a verse, and she always closed with one of her favorites. And as she reached old age and and became fragile, that wonderful memory began to fade, and the hundreds of verses turned into just a handful. And finally, toward the end of her life, she was left with just a jumble of other phrases in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, memorized in the old King James. It says, For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And she trusted in that. And at the very end, even that began to fade. And even with Ben's prompting, she would struggle through the verse. She would say, for which cause I suffer, I am am persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed unto him. And And then it became, I know in whom I have believed and committed to him against that day. And on our last day on earth, Ben said all she could murmur out of all those hundreds of verses was just one word, him, him, him. It was all she had left. It was all she needed. It was was the grand essential, the end result of intimacy with her Savior that allowed intimacy with God and to be naked and unashamed in her relationships and in life eternal. So where, you might ask, where does all this theology become practical? Well, let me, uh, let me go back to the mask. What fears cause you to put up the mask or to wear the veil to keep people from intimacy? Who is there in your life that you feel does not know the real you? And it's not all about our deep, dark secrets. It's about who you really are when you're not trying to impress somebody. I encourage you. I charge you in the name of the God who made you for intimacy. Pray about how you might become naked and unashamed. Not with everybody, but with somebody. How you might find the courage to lower the mask. Will you pray with me? Before we have an intimate moment with our God at his table, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word that shows me that others have gone before with these struggles that even the great heroes of the faith have feet of clay, that they are just like me and my sisters and brothers here. I pray that you will give us the courage and the grace that we might Reveal ourselves to those with whom we would go deep, with whom we would be intimate. 
and that you would be right in the midst of that. So like our relationship with you. Bless us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. You were made by the love of God because that God wanted to come and sit at the table with you and eat and laugh and share and grow closer so that you could become your truest self just as you are and that that intimacy with God, that being naked and unashamed, would carry over into your relationships. That's how Jesus taught his disciples. He spent years with them being just who he was so that they, who loved power and influence and hiding themselves and looking good, would come over time to see that they could have unmasked faces, unveiled faces, and to prove that he was serious On his very last night with them, he washed their feet and then he went to the table and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat. This is the real you who follows the God who loves you no matter what you are like. And in the same way, he took the cup And he poured it out in memory that it was his blood that was to be shed. He said, whenever you eat this bread or drink from this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together.